0: Tain Podcast.
1: Hey, Gain, Grow, Tain. I wanted to tell you about I Digress, which is hosted by Troy Sandage and brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. It's got shows under 30 minutes and it helps to eliminate complexity, complications, and confusion in your business uh, through a series of frameworks and strategies. Um, he talks all about scalable and sustainable success. He hits on things like marketing, sales, customer success, and more. So go check out I digress and listen to I digress wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of Gang Coming to you on a Monday, right after the Thanksgiving holiday. So we're all coming back refreshed, recharged, um, family time that we got to spend. So today we've got Lisa Gilly, who is the general counsel at Higher Logic and somebody that uh, Jay and I have had the chance to work with closely over the last 12 months and I think as Jay just put it before we hopped on, um, what a unique perspective to bring to a customer success leadership podcast than a general counsel, but I'm looking forward to doing this. So Lisa, excited to have you and uh, appreciate you making some time, you know, out of your uh, out of your schedule to do this for us. Normally you said you'd be in the office, you know, reading a document or, you know, kind of uh, shut off from the world. So I appreciate you hopping on. And getting out it's of your the end of the
2: me. month too. So, you know, we yeah. should be doubly lucky that we're, that we're getting Lisa today.
0: That's right. No, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm really excited uh, to join the podcast. So,
2: Lisa, explain the words "general counsel." I, I know it's a very basic thing, but like when we say "general counsel," tell tell people what that is.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. So, basically, I am the in-house attorney uh, at HireLogic. So, I'm here to support and enhance the work that we do across the business. So, on a typical day. Well, there is no typical day. Um, On a typical day, there might be sales agreements, there could be trademark work, there could be product work, um, there could be collaboration with the two of you on something that relates to the customer experience. But basically everything that I do um, is in support of uh, the business and growing our business and protecting and mitigating risk along the way. Um, But one of the things that Jay and I have talked about for a long time is really that there's a lot of synergy between an in-house legal department and the customer experience department, because really, in my opinion, um, what happens on the legal side of the house is very much connected to what happens to our customers, um, whether it's negotiating a contract or, working through potentially an issue that comes up um, later in the relationship. It's really about creating win-wins for HireLogic and for our customers. And that's the way that we view um, legal at HireLogic from, from literally day one, when we're in the midst of negotiating a sales deal.
1: Have you, how long have you held that, that thought for? Did it, I mean, like throughout your career, have you always thought of your, like thought of that approach? Like, Hey, you know, um, it can't be that the business wins at all costs, right? Because then we're then we're floundering a relationship that we have with a customer. And so I'm sure I'm curious if there were early experiences that you went through that maybe shaped how you have come to this. Have you have you yes. come to this happy medium, right, where it's a win win on both sides?
0: Right. No. Absolutely. Well, one of the interesting things is that I um, I started out as a little bit of an outlier in that my entire legal career. Um, has taken place in-house and these days that's not quite as unusual but um, back in the day it was. And so what I like to say is I really cut my teeth um, working in legal in the context of a business right So my first role was at the legal in the legal department of Discovery Channel and so you know everything I learned about how to be a practicing lawyer I learned in the context of growing a business. so to me that, Is where it all began. And that's really where my love of doing this work began, actually, um, was in that role. And each role has built on that because you really cannot be successful as a general counsel, as an in house lawyer, if you are approaching the work from an adversarial standpoint. You know, these are long term partnerships that we create with our customers. And you cannot begin and maintain a healthy relationship with the customers if there's a win at all cost, you know. there are obviously things that both sides need to get out of the relationship and there are very important guardrails along the way, but there are there's what you do and there's how you do it, and both are equally important in this role. And we really um, approach every you know conversation with our customers. Um, From that standpoint, and, you know, to me to really answer your question, I've probably learned as much by what not to do as by, you know, learning the right way to do things and, um, and, you know, you observe things along the way and, and certainly when you're in house, um, you know, you've got to work as in a collaborative way with your customers in order to reach that win win.
2: Well, I, I think I speak for all of us when when I say we've probably all learned a lot of what not to do on the job along the way as well. so yeah. we're all in good company there that that's yeah. perfectly okay. yeah And for for those who don't have an in-house legal counsel, mm-hmm. man, you know it, it's once you get to the scale where you do have that it's such a game changer. So we're we're very lucky very blessed to be able to have that role internally and to have you in it, Lisa. Has been has been awesome. Okay. So can I can I take us back to something you said before we backed up into the icebreakers? Yeah. You talked a little, talked a little bit about win-win. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the challenges, you and I have talked about this multiple mm-hmm. times. One of the challenges that that sometimes people on the front line, whether it's a renewal manager or a customer success manager, even an account manager, tend to get real nervous about things like price and how much we're charging and you know, if we have you know needs from a business standpoint, like going and standing in front of the customer and representing those needs in terms of what we need the structure of the agreement or the relationship to look like. So, like, let's riff on that for a minute. Like, what advice would you give a CSM who's like, uh, you know, not not sure, not sure if you know a price increase is the right thing to put in front of a customer at this point, or you know, one of the many different kind of contractual things we have to go discuss with our customers how do we get how do we get over that fear
0: oh that's a great well I think you just said the key word right is fear and I think this is where empathetic leadership comes into play this is where collaboration comes into play my my short answer is rely on your team right you're not the first one that's ever going to have had that uncomfortable conversation, and you've got resources, right? Whether you're in a very small company and you're growing it, whether you have a larger company, I guarantee you, you have people to lean on. Um, you also have community like this, right? Go out there, get get the um, get advice from people that you trust, right? So internally, what I would say at Higher Logic, what what we talk about is just reach out brainstorm how many times do we have conversations where someone has a call with the customer that's scheduled and we just say let's just happen on a call and brainstorm right yeah. let's talk it through let's think about it let's think about what the right approach is because the worst thing i think we can do as we're growing our teams right is to put someone in a position where they maybe don't feel like they have um the all the pieces or they maybe they don't feel confident in what to say or they don't know what the right approach is well Then that's not the time to have the conversation, have the conversation before the conversation, put the pieces together, figure it out. And oftentimes we'll do things like brainstorm the call, have a few talking points, try this. Or the real key sometimes that emerges in those conversations is, oh, wait, what is the real issue we're trying to solve, Yeah. And t- right? And so in the brainstorming, you can sort of uncover a new solution that if you were just focused on, oh, I'm about to have an uncomfortable conversation, I'm a little afraid of that, nobody wants to have an uncomfortable conversation with anybody, right? So if you're stuck in that space, you're not really open to innovating and really hearing what the customer's need is. But if you're talking in you know, a trusting circle of your colleagues, then you can, you know, discuss what the possible solutions are. And oftentimes that's where they come up. Um, So lean on your team, lean on your team.
2: Yeah. And and, and you might, you might learn that you're not asking all the right questions yet. Right. Like when you ask the question, what problem are we trying to solve? When you try to articulate it, you often you're like, okay, well, maybe I've missed something here because I don't actually know what the customer is wanting. Is it really about the price or the price increase or is it about the term of the agreement or, you know, some of the other parameters of the agreement that we have, the payment terms? Right? Talk exactly about that a lot. Right.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and we've seen this before where we think the issue is A, but when we start talking about it, we're actually, maybe we can't solve that specific issue. Maybe that's one of the guardrails that we're going to need to maintain our position on, but we can offer something else that really will address what we discover is the real issue. Right. And when we do that, that's the way you get to the win-win. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think.
1: Sorry. Go ahead, Jeff. No, I was going to say, well, I think one, one thing that um, this brings up for me too. And I think Jay, we had talked about this, maybe this might be like a year or two ago now. Um, but we were actually doing a consulting engagement and we were talking to their CSMs about the levers of a contract because mm-hmm. they were even, I think nervous or scared about what we even had at our disposal. Right. They were just kind of like, well, Hey, we just kind of put it in front of the customer. Right. And it's like, "Well," I think like you were getting at, Lisa, it's like, we've actually got these different points of uh, value that we can actually pull on. Um, So one of the, when, when the deal is acting, like, when's the actual like agreement date, or when are we actually signing this thing into, um, into an agreement, you've got the length of the contract, um, which also comes at play. You've got the deal size, uh, which can be, you know, how much are we paying for this? Also um, does discounting uh, or crediting come into that as well. And then you've got the payment terms. So I don't know if there are more or less than those, but those typically seem to be in a SaaS contract, the things that you can be thinking about. And I think that hits on the point you are getting at, Lisa, which is a, a customer might be coming back to you and saying something about price when really it's maybe that it falls at the wrong time and that they need to push that data out. And, or maybe that, um, you know, they want to look at when the actual payments do and they need to make sure that they've got the right cash flow so that they can, you know, think about when, when that needs to be paid and do we, okay, do we have that right? So there's, I don't know, all these different levers that when you're asking questions, it's not just like, oh, you don't like, you know, X price. It's like, you've got to try and uncover questions that maybe hit on some of those points and, and get down to, okay, which of these is really the hot button issue? And then can I take that back into that brainstorming session? and say okay. They're really concerned with where the contract lands in terms of uh, the payment date. And so you know, now we've got something to work with. So I don't know if those yeah. four, if there are more than those four, or if you'd think of others, but those are the four that I, th- I think of um, quite a bit with the SaaS contract.
0: Yeah, no, those those definitely are. What I would add to what you're saying too, is that, and and this, this would be a way that I would, whenever um, one of our folks comes in with a question and we're in the midst of brainstorming like this, we talk through exactly what you just said. You know, here are sort of the key business issues in the contract. What I might also add, depending on the question, is, oh, it sounds to my ears, right, because I'm going to hear something slightly different from a legal perspective than the CSM may hear from their perspective. And I may say, actually, what I think I'm hearing here is a concern about, you know, something else, let's say. And I'll say you know, here's a talking point on that. Why don't we talk that through? Or why don't I get on the phone? Why don't I join that call? And then I can step in if I'm hearing something that feels like it's closer to legal than it is to business, but I can be on that call and maybe alleviate a concern um, without even necessarily addressing contact or contract language. And that's really where things I think get very collaborative and interesting, right? Is where we do a bit of brainstorming beforehand. We decide maybe we need you know, even more information from the customer. We all get on a call together. I may be able to address things and put some concerns to rest by a conversation. It's a very quick conversation with the team. The business folks are on the call. They'll hear it. A couple things begin to happen then. One, the customer understands that we're in conversation with them. We're not it's not a one-way right. street. We're, we're listening. We're hearing what the issues are. And we're, if we're able to address them um, in the call, we can. Sometimes it's a language change. But what I find very often is the conversation is the solution, right? Because if your starting point as a business, as we are at HireLogic, is to do things in a very reasonable, very market, very innovative way, then there's nothing we're gonna be asking or expecting of our customers that is out of the norm or out of the ordinary. Everything we're gonna be putting in front of our customers is gonna be very rational and we're gonna have an explanation for why it is and it's gonna be very market, right? So oftentimes a conversation just explains a little more, provides a little bit more context. Couple of things happen in a conversation like that. Customer gets comfortable, but that's also an opportunity for training and empowering our own teams, right? So our teams begin to hear the answers and our teams can also begin to see that not every question is a problem. It's just the opening for a conversation, right? And I think it can that can also be a win-win um, when we're engaged in that kind of a dialogue because our folks on both sides, external and internal, all come out a little bit better for the conversation. And Absolutely. you see how I didn't quite answer all the legal points that we <laughs> have in our contract, <laughs> but, but that's
2: a basic. Well, I, first of all, my new favorite phrase is the conversation is the solution. The
0: conversation. I mean, what
2: basis. an amazing, that's a, that's an amazing concept. We should actually pull the thread on that. We should go talk to Eric, our CMO about that. I was about
0: to say, should we, should that, we trademark that? I like that yeah,
2: one too. Yeah. There is definitely something yeah. there, mm-hmm. but, um, and so, right, and in, in, in you see it's good, back to your point about the the team members learning from the discussion as well as the customer getting what they need. Yeah. They see that the customer isn't having a visceral reaction to you laying out the options in, in the way that that they're commonly understood from a business standpoint. Because remember, we are probably not the only SaaS company that our customers are working with. And especially if you're an early stage company, there's probably a lot more sophisticated SaaS companies that they're working with from a business perspective at that stage. So they've heard it all before, right? And, and everything isn't hinging on one particular item. But you talked, you said, you sort of glanced over this, but we also we talk a lot about legal versus business terms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe explain that a little bit and, and how you sure. think about the difference in those two things and where you think like the customer team has Control or the business has control versus where the legal team needs to have control. Cause I think that's an interesting yeah. separation that you've put in place. Yeah,
0: yeah no, absolutely. Um, there are a few key things that you know the business team absolutely has control over, right? And so that might be everything from pricing to payment terms to things like intra-term increase in fee, you know, that sort of thing. Um, any of the things that are going to be unique to that customer, even if by unique, we mean it's a bundled fee and that's, you know, a sort of a, you know, this is what we charge for this particular service. It's those types of, um, you know, fees and business terms. Now I'm going to say the business term is the business term, but um, anything that is specific to the deal, you know, that is not part of the standard legal terms and conditions, the boilerplate of the contract, the um, allocation of risk within the contract, um, or the legal language of the contract. You know, one of the things that I think can be really intimidating um, when folks are starting to negotiate from the business side, in whether it's at higher logic or anyplace else, a contract is not just a legal document, right? It really is a business and a legal document. And right. where do you make mm-hmm. that distinction? It, everybody freezes up when they see a contract at first, right? You know, you could have exactly the same language and you call it something else, you put it in an email, it, it's not intimidating. You put it in the form of a contract, it can be very intimidating, right? And yep. so part of, I think, the role of collaborating with our business teams is to sort of demystify the contract, right? The contract is series. It is a series of building blocks, right? There are business terms in there. There are legal terms in there. What I always say is, when in doubt, assume it's a legal term um, until you're told otherwise. <laughs> um, and you know, if it's not something that you see all the time, like renewal terms and payment terms and things like that, the chances are it's a legal term. Um, you know, but again, when I go through our legal terms, they always have an element of the business deal in them, right? Everything from, um, you know, the real intense areas of our um, agreement, like, you know, indemnification or limitation of liability, a lot of those things are specifically drafted and built based on the market conditions and the risk analysis of how we do, um, uh, how any SAS. Company operates, right? So, you know, there are things within our agreements that um, might be different if we're dealing with our largest customer, but there are also um, elements of our agreements that will be standard across the board so that even our smallest customers have the benefit of the terms that we provide to our largest customers. It's really, it depends on what the issue may be. Like for example, um, in SLA, maybe something that even our smallest customer has the benefit of the, the standardization of what we're providing for everyone. And that's really a lever we can also discuss with our customers, right? Because that's something that they benefit from regardless of size. But on some of the other um, more challenging legal issues, um, there may be things that are negotiated on a case by case basis, depending on the size of the deal. And that's just the nature of um, SaaS negotiations.
2: At its its core, why I think contracts are important for our customer success people and anybody touching the client to understand, especially those who are responsible for maintaining the relationship, is that. It documents the exchange of value, right? Both in dollars coming to us and value going in the other direction. Like that's the basis for it all. That is customer success, right? Are you getting value out of the product or not? This is the definition of that.
0: That's exactly right. And I think, you know, one of the things that I think is really interesting in, particularly for the folks that are on the cutting edge interacting with our customers every day is that and this is going to be or sound counterintuitive if this this is why i say you know that the conversation is the solution our new phrase um if you are at a point as a, a, a customer experience rep in, in any business where you're pulling out the contract and saying but it says on page 53 that this is the way I would argue that you have already lost the customer experience element of the conversation. Now, in my business, I will always go into, you know, the paragraph and take a look at the language, and that's a different conversation. But from an experience standpoint, if we're providing the value that we established at the beginning of the relationship relationship that we're here to provide, right, and we've made our position clear and we it both parties understand the flow of the value, Jay, that you're talking about, then we don't ever get there, right? The contract becomes the backstop. But if we are using the contract to tell any customer that we've provided what we've said we're going to provide, we've already lost. We should never have to get there. So, you know, to me, um, you know, again, if we're, if we do it right from the beginning, the contract is a tool and it enhances the relationship. And then if there's a problem in the relationship or there's something that we need to solve better that we solve it before we have to revert to that contract. If that makes sense, the way I've put it.
1: I recently had an experience. I can't, I'm not going to name the company, but uh, I'll I'll tell you after we, we stopped Mm -hmm. pressing record, but uh, I was sent an email with basically screenshots of a contract in the email. And just like you said, it to me has already like has changed the dynamic of what was already being established and built. And now I look at it very differently. Um, and I look at it from a much more pessimistic view, which is, oh, you're only in this because of what's in the contract. You're not in this for what's outside of the contract, which I think also holds value, right? Like there are things that we can document and that you get value from, um, in that contract. There's also things that we should be doing from an experience standpoint that. Like there should be an exchange of value outside of the contract. That's um, that's where you establish relationships, that's where you start to get um kind of exponential value, uh you know, above and beyond. So I'll tell you about that experience. Yeah, yeah now I'm really curious. Yeah. Now I'm super curious. So I can't wait for this to end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um so, so sure. the the other thing that I think um as we were just talking about too, the um again, I, I think a lot about just early experiences that I've had and you know, like some of the things we've talked about, right? Contracts. It's um, I didn't have an understanding of levers and understanding, you know, what was there for me uh, to be able to talk through and talk about. Um, and one of the other things too, is I think just like you mentioned, um, like, yes, we have to take contracts because they're, a you know, a signed document, but at the same time, like um, I think when you're going through negotiations, when you're thinking about um, those types of conversations, I think the other thing is that at the end of the day, it's really about risk on either side, um, in a lot of, in a lot of cases. And so, you know, it's, what is the customer willing to accept in terms of, um, risk and exposure? And then what are, are we as a business willing to accept? Um, and I think why I'm going back to why I think your point about the conversation, um, is the solution in some cases is that, um, when you're reading something, you can't really, you can't really, um, feel like you are touching that or kind of, you know, like sometimes you need the words off the page, like you need a conversation to talk through scenarios, talk through different things to make sure you feel comfortable with that. Um, and so I also think that that to me just resonated when you mentioned it earlier, because, you know, there are certain conversations, like you said, maybe we're in a new negotiation and um, maybe we are willing to accept something um, because we've understood the risks for our, ourselves as a business. And, you know, we're okay with doing that, but like that, that is the other piece that I think comes into this at play for customer success leaders that are out there is, um is that i think there are some some cases right where a customer success leader might be out there and saying oh no we'll never we'll never do that you know and then some cases you're like well you really got to go ask the question because in some cases we might be willing to do it it just depends on again like is, is this really a win for us as a business and is it a win for the customer and if we think so then like maybe we are willing to do it so i would say also like don't just assume like oh we've never done it like this before or we haven't done it this way in the contract like I wouldn't take those as just um, kind of, hey, Uh, why we're not doing it.
0: Absolutely. I would argue
2: that that, that's probably
1: a top five reason
2: that we have like customers that churn and there's just like an an incongruity between what the person on the front line thinks we will do. They just make an assumption, right? Yes. Like the price is the price and the term is the term. Like it is what it is. Well, no, everything is pliable and flexible. Yes, it's got to scale. Yes, it's got to make sense in two directions, but always ask, right? Never, never take that for granted. Sorry to jump in on yeah, you. Yeah,
0: no, you're exactly right. And it's, it's again, lean on your team because think about it this way too. The contract evolves over time. And why is that? Because the product evolves over time, right? Yeah. So maybe at the beginning of a relationship with a customer, maybe, and this could be true at Higher Logic, it could be true for any of the listeners to this podcast in their business, right? That as your Uh, as your product evolves and the way that your customers use your product, maybe you've got new built-in functionality, right? Maybe you have a new kind of moderation um, tool. Maybe you have something that you could point to for your customer that, well, actually we can't give you what you're asking for over here on say a liability, you know, we have to cap your liability and that's market and that makes sense. And here are the reasons why that makes sense. But let's look over here at the functionality that exists within um, the the tool and what can you do and what are the tools that you have as a customer so that you can make sure that your risk analysis is also appropriate on your end. And it's amazing how many times those conversations are effective because sometimes, you know, the person who's negotiating the contract for the customer maybe you know you not have as much visibility into the product as our folks do right so that's where you get a couple of different voices on a call and you can plug some of those gaps and you'll have someone on the customer side either from info security or from product or you know that is on that call in addition to legal and something that we're saying that describes something that we know is beneficial to our customer that's built into the tool um, built into our product rather, um, is a tool for them to use. Someone else on their call can hear it and they can be a voice that also says, oh, yeah, this is going to be OK. And this makes sense. Right. And we know why that makes sense. That so, again, make them lean on their teams as well.
2: That's right. And, and we, we use a, a term in the customer success world a lot of times called champion. And If you think about the different people that are inside of a company, you're going to deal with legal. You might deal with procurement, right, which is professional buyers of stuff. You might deal with executives, but at the, at the end of the day, there's a there's a business owner of your solution, right? The, the, the team or the, or the leader that's going to get the most day-to-day value out of that product. And if, and if they have influence in the organization, then you make them your champion, yes, right? Exactly. Which is like exactly, exactly what you said, like, exactly. hey, we can't do the liability thing you need us to do over here. However... Like we can do this, and that person's ears are going to perk up, and they're going to be like, you know what? They're going to have the conversation behind the scenes to say, "Look, I really want that or need that. These guys are great. We have a great relationship. I need you to do this." It doesn't always work that way. Like yeah. sometimes organizations have very powerful procurement orgs. I've been up against those before; mm-hmm. they're difficult. But even there, oh yeah, the champions will help and support. And yes, you're going to get That's beat right. up on price and some other things. But you yeah. know, you give and get, right? And there's there's levers going in both directions to make it an, an even deal at the end of the day.
0: That's right, exactly. Because what we'll also find very often in procurement-based deals is that they have their guardrails, we have our guardrails. Sometimes it's very, very clear because everybody knows exactly what the guardrails are and then it just changes what the levers are that you can pull. Um, but you know, even there, it's just, it is part of the conversation. When you say, Jay, that somebody's ears will perk up because what they're really hearing when you say that is they're hearing the solution, right? They're hearing right. the solution that we're offering. It may not come in the form that they thought they needed it originally, right? But we're right. giving them an alternative and that's where the win-win begins to live. Yeah.
2: There was a, a conversation
1: it. is the solution. love it. There was got, a-
0: all roads are leading back to that, I like it, I like <laughs>
1: there it. There was a... Um- Hello, Gain this is Jeff. You might be listening to the show today for many reasons. Maybe you're looking to learn something new, Maybe you're looking to listen to a speaker that you love, or maybe you're driving and the co-pilot has control of the radio. Whatever the case is, I wanted to tell you about HubSpot's CRM platform and some new pieces that improve the customer experience. First, customer intelligence tools that help your teams get real-time insight into calls through automatic recording, transcription, and analysis. Think about the types of conversations and coaching that you can do with your customer teams. Next is easy share meeting links, which let your customers see availability. It booked meetings with you, all from the HubSpot platform. The last improved data hygiene, and that always is needed in a CRM platform. So learn more about how you can transform your customer experience with a HubSpot CRM platform at hubspot.com. There was a there was a spot early in my career when I started doing B two B marketing, um, and this is just this will loop back to procurement really quickly. But the one of the things that we did early on is that we were having trouble. There's two things that we were trying to do. One, we were trying to get our contract secured through procurement. And two, um, we were then gonna be helping them market their products to other B2B B2B, B2B businesses. And one of the early insights that we had was that we were actually struggling with procurement teams. Like we were, basically the champion wanted to do it, but there was a roadblock because the champion was bringing it to the procurement team and then it became red tape and all this stuff, right? So one of the early things that I did, and I just remember this, uh, because you guys were talking about procurement is, um, we went, so we went on campus, um, to a large computer manufacturer, uh, I won't say the name, but like large computer manufacturer. And, um, I actually walked around to eight different buildings looking for this woman in procurement because I had only seen her through email. And I went and I walked up to her desk and I said, hi, I'm Jeff. Like, you know, me through these emails. And I just started a relationship with her. And she was like, you're the first person that's ever come to find me of any, she's like, I've done, I forget what it was like 10,000 deals here. And like, you're the first person that's ever come up to my desk And I'll tell you what, I got really fast responses on emails and I figured out the process, how to go through it. But it also helped at the end of the day, also helped our marketing uh, because we got to figure out from her, we started, we actually started including her in our planning process. And she was like, oh my God, this is like, now she's outside of her job day to day. She's coming to our meetings and we're asking her questions. You're the project, you're the subject matter expert. Like let's make you the star of the show, so to speak, Jay. And uh, she loved that. And And then it just became an advocate and a champion for us. We took the procurement person and actually made it our champion, which was just a funny little scenario.
0: I think that is brilliant. And I love everything about that story because to me, what it speaks to also is, you know, you all talk a lot about what are the non-traditional things that we can do that can, you know, increase the customer experience and, and all of that. And what you're describing is exactly that. And what I would say to that is it's about responsiveness it's about being available. It's about being reasonable and it's about making a connection, right? Now, we're very lucky at Higher Logic because that's what we do as a business, right? Our entire business is about making connection and forming community, right? So, if we're not doing that in the day to day work that we're doing, well, we're missing a tremendous opportunity, right? And I'd agree with you that, you know, in my world, it can honestly sometimes be as simple as responsiveness. You know, I like, I'm one of those zero inbox type people where I feel like responsiveness is half the battle because, you know, if you can get a conversation started with someone, be it procurement or, you know, a lawyer um, negotiating on the other end and you can get that conversation going quickly, you can short circuit a lot of problems that can you know develop when you're you know trading drafts of documents and they take two weeks to turn and then you try to send a document back if you reach out and form a connection with the person on the other side demonstrate your you know knowledge of the subject matter and your availability it is amazing how many people will work with you and work well with you because it doesn't happen all that often, right? Um, and especially in my world, and I know it from the receiving end. You know, no lawyer wants to get you know a heavily marked up red line. You know, at the end of the day, on a Friday, with no context, and you know, no one knows where to go. If you pick up the phone, or you ping someone online, or you set up a quick call. The quick five to 10 minute phone call with somebody where you make a connection and you say, here are the issues that I've got. Here's my timeline. Here's my commitment to you. Here's what I can do for you. That's innovation in this. Just connecting is innovating you know, connecting is innovating
2: too. Yeah. It turns out even procurement and legal and accounting and everybody, they're all human beings, right? And funny how that works. Yeah. The rest of the human beings on the planet for, you know, to be engaged and not just have stuff thrown over the wall. So
0: that's right. That's right. It makes a difference. Yeah. It makes a big difference. Yeah. Really does.
2: Yeah. You should should. learn about that, Jeff. It's good.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. it wasn't good. Uh, I probably should have, there's, there's uh, a lot more I've got back in the, uh, back in the old noggin in some cases <laughs> that I need to pull out more. Um, but yeah, what, so you mentioned a couple, right? You kind of said responsiveness and some of the other pieces, like what are other unique ways maybe that you've seen businesses putting their customer first or thinking about customer? I'll just throw one out there. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be from the legal side too. I'll throw yeah. one out there that I saw recently was um, or two maybe. So one I heard a story about was um, Costco and Costco actually pays t- their employees, on average, like 50 to 75% more than Sam's Club. So two kind of membership clubs, two mm-hmm. of this you know similar style. Um, and the other stat that I heard was uh, that they hire. I read this in an article, so I might be getting the number wrong, but I think it was like something like 80 to 90% of their roles, or like uh, 80 to 90% of, of their roles internally, are basically, or their roles are basically filled from people internally. So mm. they're in and bringing people up. And the reason why they talked about The reason why I read this thought it was an interesting way to think about customer centricity is that they were, they said, one of the best things we can do is hire somebody early on, you know, help them understand our culture, our teams, the business. And then now we've got that person, they know us, they know what we're all about. And now they're moving up into positions where they're making decisions and it might be more strategic. And now, you know, they're so aligned with what we're doing. It would be almost like. Um, it would almost be disadvantageous for us to bring in somebody from the outside. that doesn't know those things and starts making decisions. So that was just one way I thought it was like a unique, like, oh, like they're really focused on that employee retention and especially against a competitor um, because they can see the other strategy. And so they're kind of like, hey, you know, we're going to double down on this because we see this as building um, a customer centric way, you know, is that we're getting somebody who knows the business in and out. So that was just one example I read about recently that I thought was a little unique, just thinking about the employee experience.
0: I love that one. I actually think, and and we have these rally cries, right? at, At higher logic, right? Something, maybe a win for customers, a win for employees, a win for the company. I would say innovation is when all of those connect, which is what our goal is. And to me, you know, one of the best forms of innovation is to take the time to mentor, to take the time to train, to take the time to coach, and to take the time to listen, right? So for me, I like, nothing more than we, when we carve out time to do training with the teams, we do one-on-one mentoring. Sometimes we do train the trainers, we train groups of folks. And it is amazing to me what can happen when people are given the opportunity to ask questions. And I always say, you know, there is no such thing as a bad question, a dumb question, a wrong question. And I usually try to lead with, you know, this story from long ago about somebody asking a question. It was Again, when you learn what not to do, it's from many, many years ago when I was at a large company and somebody asked a question, and the person on the receiving end of the question, in a very senior leader role, basically told the person that it was a dumb question. And it wasn't a dumb question. And what happened was the room was lost mm. from that point forward. And so I tell that story to break the ice that there are no dumb questions guaranteed, ask anything, and you answer every question. And when you do that, you're providing safety for your team, you're providing a place of trust for your team, and we're mentoring all of our, you know, our folks internally. That is innovation. Because when our folks know the product well, when they know the contract well, when they know the talking points well, they can, they are empowered, and they can then empower our customers. That's, a win-win. Another example of that is, to your point, about training and mentoring up our people and providing them an opportunity to grow and thrive. I mean, I have, um, I'll share the story, Jay will remember it well, I hired somebody into my team from Jay's organization within Higher Logic, and it's been terrific because it's really an example of, you know, we partner with one another um, in this company, and I'm sure others that are listening do the same, and you form these relationships within the company, and you understand how each side of the business works a little bit better, and then you can provide career opportunities for folks, you know, that someone wants to move from this side of the house to that side of the house. Well, to your point, they have tremendous institutional knowledge of the product and of the customers. Those skills are tremendously valuable and transferable. I believe that almost any skill set is transferable to almost any other role within the company. Because if you are engaged, if you you are asking the right questions, and if you're hungry to learn, you can do almost any job. And I think your listeners are probably well aware of that in the roles that they do, right? They're either growing teams or have grown in an organization and now are trying to figure out how do we you know, how do we keep our people engaged, right? How do we keep them hungry for the next role? Well, what we do is we engage with them. We train them up, we share knowledge generously. You know, one of the things that um, I think is is sometimes overlooked is, you know, the importance of generosity in our leadership style, the importance of transparency, the importance of empathy. Everybody wants to learn and grow, let's let them, you know, and I think when we do that, they innovate, and then they, in turn, empower our customers. So to me, it's all connected.
2: That's that's amazing. Yeah, I, the the thing that people listening to this podcast should think about, whether you're a leader who's been in it for years, you already know this, or if you're a CSM, you're just getting started, is that the SaaS business model is a thing, right? Like a SaaS company is a unique type of business with with lots of different facets that are applicable across the board no matter what saas company you're working with so if you get a chance to see some of those things whether it's the way that contracts are developed and negotiated on the legal and the you know the business terms side whether it's the way that the product is delivered whether it's the way that the customer experience organization is set up it doesn't matter right those things are highly transferable across this entire industry and that should be exciting to people because go look at the valuations of the biggest saas companies on the public markets right now they are through the roof, right? Absolutely through the roof. So learning this business model from as many different facets as you can is, is a really valuable thing to do.
0: Oh yeah. Just to piggyback on what you were saying. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, we're, I, I've seen two people go from customer experience into legal in my career and they've both had amazing careers. It's yeah. Great. yeah. I'm sure yeah. one will and I know. I, you know indeed, yeah. So. yeah.
0: No, and, and it's amazing because it's really, you know, it, and Jay and I have talked, I mean, we've talked about this from, I think the first maybe conversation we had, right? Yep. That legal is customer experience, right? So legal may be mm-hmm. one of, the first moments that a customer has where you are engaged in problem solving with a company yeah, like in our partnership. Logic, right yeah you're in yeah. partnership because you know obviously like you know if you're negotiating the contract there are the guardrails we talked about everybody has to get what they need it has to be a win win but it's it's potentially that first interaction where your customer is engaged in something that might be like we've talked about before, a slightly uncomfortable conversation. Somebody has to hold firm. Somebody has to ask for something. Somebody may get a no, but, or a maybe, and let's hear more about that kind of conversation. Right? So the way we do that is everything from the beginning, because we establish who we are. That's a customer experience moment that is a customer experience conversation and if it is approached that way almost any conversation can happen you know and and be a forwarding conversation if we approach that differently imagine the customer experience that then gets handed off to Jay's team right to fulfill on I mean nobody wants to come out of that bruised and battered and you know we've Page, you know, fifty-seven of the contract is where we'll, you know, refer to you later if there's a problem. That's right. not the beginning of an effective relationship, you know. And the best experiences that I've had negotiating. Um, here are when, you know, we do get a call from procurement after we do get a call from our legal person, you know, at the end of the negotiation. Well, you know, that was hard fought and you guys got what you needed, but we got what we needed and, you know, much respect, you know, that's That's what you're looking for. That's the win. And, you know, those are the, the quiet victories that I'm sure folks listening to this you know, have all the time when they're negotiating contracts in whatever role they're in, because you are negotiating with your customers and creating those win-wins in a variety of roles across the company. And, you know, legal is no different. Um, and and I think when you look at legal as a customer experience um, function, in addition to all the other functions that it is, I think um, it, it becomes a much more interesting, innovative and business enhancing role. And, um, you know, what I would encourage all of, you know, your listeners to, to consider is, you know, how can you partner with your um, internal stakeholders? And if you do have a legal function um, internally, use it as the business partner that it should be, use it as the brainstorming partner that it should be and use it as the collaborative space that it can be. Um, And if you don't have legal internally, because some of your listeners probably don't, what I would say is you can still use these tools and techniques because you could be the CEO of your company, but you also put that legal hat on and you are the negotiator. You can still take some of these tips and tools because it's the same mindset.
2: And that right sure. there sums up why I wanted you on this podcast <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jeff and I did. So that's Excellent. awesome. Excellent.
1: Um, yeah, Lisa, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, if people are interested, I always like to, um, you know, plug you at the end. So um, can people find you on LinkedIn, Twitter? Uh, you know, do you respond to email, like whatever, whatever way people can get in touch with you?
0: Yeah, I am on LinkedIn. I, I'm actually um, engaging more and more on LinkedIn. I really enjoy this conversation about you know, conversations with GCs. I'm now gonna use our new catchphrase here. The conversation is the solution. We'll maybe do a little bit more thought leadership around that, um, but I'm on LinkedIn, um, easily reachable there and um, always on, on email as well. I'm not on Twitter though.